0: The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only, and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made
1: money magnet, Steve McKnight, and esteemed journalist, Rowan Wen.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Money Magnet podcast. Or oh, welcome back if you're a long-time listener. This is where two mates talk about money. And again, I'm joined by my mate and fellow host, Rohan Wen.
1: Hi, Ro. G'day, Stephen. It's about time that you introduce me because <laughs> this episode is also about time.
0: It is about time. Or more specifically, the connection between money and time, Which is something that I wrote about in chapter seven of my latest book, Money Magnet, How to Attract and Keep a Fortune That Counts.
1: And if you haven't bought the book or read the book, please make sure you do and share it with your family and friends.
0: Yeah. Well, if you want to get better, this is the way to do it. So a question I've got for you, Ro, is this. Did you get pocket money as a kid?
1: I did. Not much, sadly. My parents are kind of a little bit frugal. But I did, year pocket money. Do we need to talk about this? Actually, I've got a great little story. They were very tight because my mother controlled all the money and said so she would give dad pocket money and then he would then <laughs> give us some pocket money out of that. And one day we had to go to this we were all in the choir's kid and dad was uh, the manager of the choir, or assistant manager, and he was invited to this lunch with this visiting choir from overseas. And we thought we were all invited, but only turns out dad was, right? So we had to sit in the car while he went in and had this lunch with this Chinese choir, right? And dad pulled out a five dollar note. This was in probably the eighties, so five bucks wasn't wasn't a lot of money for three kids. And then he said, Okay, I want two bucks change. <laughs> So we all got a buck each to go and buy a Mars bar or something while he we went inside and had this Chinese banquet. So as a matter of principle, we all said, no, bugger it and didn't spend any of the money. And he came back and said, there's your five bucks, mate. We don't want it. <laughs> Just to teach him a lesson. So yes. I don't know
0: w- how to feel about that because leaving your kids in the car is generally frowned upon these days. Well, we
1: could actually wind down the window. We're not dogs, mate. <laughs> We're okay. Oof. I, anyway, so that's how frugal we well, were. Well, how
0: much pocket money did you get growing up?
1: Well, so my nan would bring around 50 cent pieces for us, and then I think I would get maybe five bucks. Never then I got a job at sort of 15, so.
0: Did you have to do anything for your pocket money, or it was just money?
1: Yeah, that- no, we had to feed the dog. We had Bianca, our little dog, we had to feed her, and we had to occasionally do some gardening. But yeah. Nothing but it,
0: it wasn't like one of these things where on the fridge there was a chore chart where different people had to do different no, chores had, on different my days or anything went. like that.
1: No, my parents weren't like that, yeah.
0: Well, it's a point that I want to talk about, Ro, because maybe it hasn't been talked about enough, but for many, pocket money is their first experience with money. First firsthand experience with okay. money. Okay, yep. No doubt they've seen how it works by watching mum and dad, and now they get to experience it for themselves. It's like, I've got some money and I can spend it on lollies, or that was usually what people spent their money on. Yep. Because it wasn't much money that you had. I mean, I remember getting 20 cents a week. That was my pocket money.
1: Wow, okay. It makes makes my parents sound generous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, 20 cents used to still buy lollies.
1: And, Is that what and, you bought, lollies? So we used to buy those Star Wars action cards, you know, the cards yeah, you get from a yeah, yeah. little bit of chewing
0: gum. Well, you could buy footy cards back in the day as well. But 20 cents actually, you know, these days, Lord knows what it buys, but 20 cents used to buy something back in the day. Yeah, right. And you got the feeling of buying power because you could figure out whether or not you wanted to buy worth of mixed lollies, or maybe you wanted to buy a pack of footy cards, or you could even save up your $0.20 and then have $0.40 the following week and see, oh my God, i got a dollar. I'm rich." I'm rich. rich. Love it. But there wasn't really any opportunity for this concept of investing it though. And this is maybe an aha moment that I want to get to, that as parents- when we give our kids pocket money, what we're really teaching them is this idea of, well, you can spend your money and buying power, which is important, and you can save your money. But if there's no opportunity for them to be able to multiply it by investing, then they're never going to learn the benefit of investing till later in life after they've already acquired the habits of spending and possibly saving. And what I would be encouraging people listening to this podcast to do who wanted to be better money managers and pass on a legacy of financial. Management to their kids is to also create a sort of little mini investment program where their kids can put some money aside and maybe you buy a share in something on their behalf or you do something entrepreneurial for them so that they can see the benefit of being able to multiply their money outside of just being given it as pocket money from mum and dad.
1: So you could do something like, okay, I'm going to give you five bucks a week or whatever it is, but if you give me two dollars back and I put it away after 52 weeks, that's 104 bucks. So I'll give you one hundred and twenty.
0: Well, yeah, you can come up with something to reward them for delaying the gratification, and saying, "Well, would you rather have a dollar now or a dollar fifteen a month's time?" And this is introducing a different thought pattern that a lot of people don't get just out of the concept of pocket money.
1: That's a really good idea to teach them about investing. What about just teaching them the general value of a dollar?
0: That's important. And this comes to the next question. And we've already sort of spoken about it, that you were just given money from mum and dad. Here's 50 cents. No, you we fed had, the dog. Yeah, some loose chores. Someone yeah. feed the dog. In and my... uh,
1: actually, we dried the dishes too. Sorry. So it was a tough house when I think back.
0: But it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't formalized, right? There was no formal arrangement that you do this and you get that. I think they tried that. They just got a bit loose. It failed. And so there's three ways that you can give your kids pocket money. The first one is charity. It's just given. Yep. Ah, you get $5 a week. Come hell or high water, i give you 5 bucks. You do nothing, you still get 5 bucks.
1: Yep, because I love you. That's it.
0: Then there's chores. Like you have to do X and then you'll get Y. So it becomes transactional. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is what I call choices, which is basically you don't get paid anything, but if you get entrepreneurial, then you can create your own money. You can put your lemonade stand out the front of the house. If you happen to sell some lemonade, you'll make money. If you come up with an idea and you make it happen, then you'll earn money. Now, a lot of people can't teach entrepreneurial because they're not entrepreneurial themselves.
1: There was definitely a mum back in the street next to ours who would let the kids do literally do a lemonade stand because I guess they saw it on a cartoon or something in an American cartoon. And she would say, well, I'll pay for the lemons and take the value of the lemons out and you get the money for whatever else is over. So that's kind of entrepreneurial.
0: Yeah. Well, I've said to my kids at the seminars I used to run, if you sell books, you can keep the profits from the books. You just buy the books from me and you can sell them. You can come up with deals to try and sell more books. You, you're going to keep all the profits because I'm not going to pay you for sitting there and selling the books. But if you can get entrepreneurial and create offers and various other things, and they were like, they came up with the idea that, all right, I'll tell you what, well, the books are 20 bucks, but if you pay $25, I'll get dad to sign it for you. So they you found, because humans are, are actually quite smart yeah. and entrepreneurial when given the right conditions. And how old are the kids? Oh, the kids were only eight or 10. I'm right? just asking about half the tax office. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty
1: young. Just joking.
0: Now, let's extrapolate this row because remember, pocket money is a reward or an incentive. Yes, and then yes. how it's awarded will begin to establish a lifetime behavioral pattern. Now, again, I don't know anyone who's ever talked about this before, but when you stop and think about it, I hope you'll agree with it. First of all, if money's just given to you as a form of charity, then you can create this pattern that you think mum and dad are always going to give me money. Yeah. Or, or, that or life is going to give me money. Life is going to give yeah, me yeah, money because I've always been given money. There's no context to any other concept. It's like pandemic payments, for example. Entitled. Yeah. So when we look at kids today and say, wow, these kids today are really entitled, take a step back and ask yourself, have I created that entitlement mentality.
1: As Willy Wonka said in the movie, kids can't spoil themselves.
0: I love it when you quote Willy Wonka. (laughs) And there's a a new movie coming out, actually. I know, called Wonka. Called Wonka. It's got Hugh Grant in it as an Oompa Loompa.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, there's a real, there's a... (laughs) There are so many lines there, but I'm not going (laughs) to...
0: Very funny little snippet at the end of the short where they come across Hugh Grant in this glass jar and he... Talks about being an all-pull Anyway, I'll let people go and watch that if they're
1: Speaking interested. A few grand, right? Did you know that? What the most popular careful, movie? all careful. This is no, 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 AG. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all good. Love you, good man. Came to Australia a couple of times. Do you know that? Until very recently, the number one movie on Rotten Tomatoes was Paddington Bear Two.
0: No, I didn't know that.
1: Starring King Grant, right? It actually beat Citizen Kane because Citizen Kane got one negative review and therefore it went down in, in Rotten Tomatoes, whereas the critics at University loved Paddington 2. I
0: haven't seen Paddington 2. It's I worth saying it. It's
1: actually an exceptionally good film.
0: Paddington 1 was quite good. No, this one's better. So this better. better. Anyway, we digress. Yes, Let's go. get back to it. Okay. So the first one's charity and the question is, do you- So free money a- means you don't value it. Well, entitled kids. Yep. And these kids, this entitlement- But that's our fault,
1: mate, because we spoil
0: them. It's the parents' fault. Yeah, that's not us, right. but the parents, yeah. The second is chores. And so if you're made to do chores to earn money, you tend to get this head idea or habit of if I want to earn more, I've got to work harder. Yeah. And that is counterproductive. And then the choices or the entrepreneurial side of things is you learn that money comes from thinking more than doing. And ultimately, in my opinion, it's that entrepreneurial aspect that can unlock more opportunity. Now, you can actually do all three. You don't have to necessarily do one or the other. You can get creative if you want. Okay. So you wrote that how you count your time is how you make your time count. Mm -hmm. Let's
1: talk about that. That's a bit of a throwback to your accounting days, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, it is a throwback to my accounting days, and I very well remember having to do timesheets where your day is split into six-minute intervals,
1: and it was a real- Can I tell you how much I could never do that with my (laughs) life. I would just go nuts, because don't you spend like half a minute every six minutes drilling down what you did for the last six minutes?
0: No, you got into the habit of doing it, and what it meant, though, was that you didn't really have any of this non-productive time, because you were penalized for being non-productive. I suppose. You sat in your review, and they said, well, look, you know, your billable units were only- 60 percent, that means you were 40 percent unproductive. Mm. It was either billable or not billable. And that caused this almost fanaticism around making your time count because you were so time accountable.
1: Got it. But weren't you so busy working to try and fill out those sheets and to have billable hours that you didn't have time to stop back and go, if I do things differently, like invest in property, I might have a better life.
0: No, because it was expected that you would get to work early and stay back late and do your timesheet in your own time, not on work time.
1: No, but what I mean is if you're stuck doing the day-to-day stuff and stuck in the job, you wouldn't have the luxury of doing what you did with your life, which is going think about how do I do things differently?
0: That's why I got out of accounting. Correct. Because sometimes you're so focused on spending your time doing time for money that you're not using your time to create new opportunity. There's a really good story I can tell here, which was a bit of an aha moment for me. So I was in my first job working as a co-op student in accounting. And for some crazy reason, I still don't understand. I decided to move out of home in Doncaster and move in with a friend in Moorlbark. Right Now, for those people who aren't familiar with the layout of Melbourne, Moorlbuck is a long, long way out of the CBD. It's a part of Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and I was working just out of the CBD. So it would, would take about 90 minutes a day on the train to get from Moorlbuck to work it's each well way. well through, Steve. And Doncaster wasn't that far away. Anyway, so I moved in with a friend. It wasn't a smart move because now instead of sponging off mum and dad, I had to pay rent, I had yep. to pay groceries and everything. And then I had this problem that work was a long way away. So I went into my manager. His name was Brad. And I said, Brad, I've got a problem. If I get on this train, I can be at work at eight o'clock. Or if I get on this train, I can be at work at 8.34. And the difference was about an hour. I know it was only a half hour difference, just the way the train network worked and
1: connections. Stopped at different stations, yeah.
0: And I said, Brad, would you mind if I got to work four minutes late and worked an extra four minutes in the afternoon? And he, he sort of looked down and he looked at me and he goes, well, I guess you're going to have to figure out whether or not you want to work here or not. Wow. So in Brad, today's flexible farm, buddy. Well, in today's flexible workplace, you'd probably be, yeah, sure, that's fine, swings and roundabouts, however. But back then, it was no. There's no flexibility here. The day starts here and the day ends there and you're expected to be here. And if you're here a half hour early, well then you'll be able to use that time to get ahead. That sounds yeah. kind of monstrous, to be honest. But it was this expectation that you couldn't get something just as an entitlement. Maybe they could do you a favor, but if all of a sudden it's now going to be a new day thing, well, the answer is no, you don't get to do that. You're employed to start work at 8.30 and our expectation is you'll be here at 8.30. So what's the lesson then? Well, the lesson here is I'm trying to say that people have to make commitments and the commitments can't be this fuzzy sort of commitment. It's how you count your time is how you make your time count. Brad said that that four minutes counted. You have to have the discipline in order to be here because, yeah, it seems like it's only four minutes, but that four minutes counts. What I'm trying to say to people, and perhaps I'm not saying it very well, is where's the fire? Where's the fire in life? And no, I'm not talking about bringing out the fire engines or anything else like that. What I mean here is what prioritizes the action, how you're going to escape from the burning building, and what energizes you for the desired outcome? What puts a fire in your belly? A lot of people have no fire. They're not prioritized and they're not energized. And so they run around life saying, oh, maybe I want to do this or maybe I want to do that when they don't have musts. And it's this part-time effort expecting a full-time outcome. I was expecting Brad to say, yes, yes, Steve, that's fine. But by saying no, what he was doing was he was saying, well, where's the priority, Steve? Is the priority for you to get here four minutes later? Is your priority to your employer and getting your career going? In which case, why not get in a half hour early and do more than the minimum and therefore start putting effort in the tank towards your career? Yeah, I guess I can see that. Yeah, well, he didn't quite put it that way. I thought at the time it was a bit unreasonable. But now in hindsight, he was helping me understand that, Steve, you need to set priorities in your life. And if you want to be serious, if you want to work on your accounting career, you can't do the minimum and expect the maximum.
1: I guess he's trying to teach you the value of time and money at the same
0: time. He was trying to say to me, you need to prioritize. And if you can't prioritize in the right order, if you can't make the right priority, then maybe working here is not for you. Which seemed harsh based on your reaction. It looked like I'd stepped in dog poo and walked it around. But really, it was helping me to understand, well, are you serious or are you not? Yeah, fair enough. Hmm, That's right. So can we talk about the time value of money, right? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Time disempowered people equate money to money. What does that mean? If I've got $1,000, what can $1,000 buy? Got it. So it's buying power. If I have $1,000 saved up, I could use that money to buy dot, dot, dot. That's their concept of $1,000. Whereas time-empowered people equate money back to time. I've got $1,000 saved up. That means I don't have to work a week.
1: Got it. Okay. So the money you've got is the time you can buy back for yourself.
0: Exactly. Got it. So don't think of your savings as money in the bank. See it as time in the bank. Okay. And because people don't understand this time-money connection, which is what we're talking about, it's about time, they're constantly in this, my money buys things and it never buys- And a hand-to-mouth kind of thing, right? Well, it doesn't buy back time, it buys possessions. Yeah. And so they end up in a situation where they run out of time. Yes. Because they're leaving it too late to make time the priority. And if you do a net savings calc right now and you look at your savings less your debt, The question you might want to ask yourself is, are you owed money or do you owe money? Are you owed time or do you owe time? Yeah, right. Relate your money back to your time. Then level up your thinking by converting your income into time as well. Have a look at how much money you're earning by selling your time, which will be your salary, and how much income you're getting back from your time, which is your investment income.
1: And do people do this
0: as a general rule? No. And because they don't do it, they're oblivious to it. They're not measuring it, so they're not monitoring it. They keep saying, I can keep selling my time. I can keep selling my time. And in Money Magnet, I wrote the line that time is your friend until it's your enemy, right? Because people keep selling their time until they're like, oh, wow, I don't have much time to sell anymore. And because I've been spending my money and I don't have time in the bank, I'm going to end up in retirement where I'm going to maybe be asset rich but income poor and I have to suffer a lower lifestyle.
1: So why do we make those mistakes though?
0: We make those mistakes because we never stop to think about it. Time seems friendly and in abundance when you're younger, but it becomes hostile and a frenemy as you get older and your time starts running out like it scares me like i'm 51 i don't know how i got to 51 so quickly but i'm only 9 years away from 60 and i'm thinking yeah, but about 60 starting is the 40. up well i'm thinking about starting up another fund and i look at that and i go well if that's a 9 year commitment or a 10 year commitment Why would I commit to something that's going to suck nine years of my financial freedom away for the sake of helping other people when I don't need to do
1: it? Well, that's kind of the point. This speaks to the time as well. Like, you know how much you don't need to now. So you should value your time more.
0: In my case, I hate letting people down, but I need to make the decision that my time is more valuable than the money I might earn by running this fund and and live what I teach.
1: Which is true. I mean, I think I spoke about this before on the podcast, a previous episode, but I had a mate of mine who unfortunately passed away a couple of years back and he was wealthy, you know, and so was his family. And he said to me just before he passed on, he said, yeah, we can all count money, but we can't count time. And I'll never forget that because I, I work too hard because I love work and I just doesn't really feel like work. So I just say yes to everything, right? Which is stupid because then I don't do the things that I want to do with my family and stuff. But I, I remember that really sitting with me going, yeah, that's a really, I'm going to have to challenge myself with that at some point because he's right.
0: I've got a builder mate up at Bindi and his name's Matt Flukes. And so Fluxy, obviously, in the great Australian Australia. way. Australia, yes. <laughs> and uh, this is a Fluxiism. So this is the wisdom of Fluxi. You said to me, Steve, you don't want to be the richest person in the graveyard. Yeah. So if you're working yourself, you might be wealthy, but if you're working yourself into the graveyard, what good is that?
1: Okay, well, let's circle back to what you wrote about your revelation of living your worst case scenario. Hmm. What does yeah. that mean?
0: In my case, I was working in accounting. I didn't want to do accounting, but the money was good. And I'm like, oh, I can't leave accounting because it's a high paying job. But it wasn't until I had this epiphany that, really, what have I got to lose by giving something else a go? Because I could always go back to accounting. Now, I was young enough, right? If you're in your 40s or your 50s, maybe mm. you can't do this. Yeah. It's too late for you. But the earlier in life, you can start taking risks. Remember, you can always go back to what you're doing. So why don't you try and do something else? If your worst case scenario is your current case scenario, surely you've only got upside to gain by being a bit entrepreneurial.
1: Perfect. All right, mate. Well, it's takeaway time. So what are today's takeaways? <laughs> <It's>
0: takeaway time. <laughs> Uh, don't, or should we
1: save money and just make a meal at home? <laughs> like,
0: really? Well, you know, you're the one saving I'm the money. one that does the gags on this podcast. Really? Don't dismiss the sure? importance of pocket money and how it sets a behavioral expectation and a pattern in life. We think, oh, it's only pocket money. It probably doesn't matter. But reflect on how your experience with pocket money has influenced you and as a parent, if you are a parent, how the way you're using pocket money is influencing your kids.
1: Because kids learn what they live.
0: Second, time is one of your greatest assets, but how do you value it? You've got to remember that the miscalculation of time is that it goes faster as you get older, the value of your time increases as you have less of it, and the quality of your time tends to decrease as you age because you start having health complaints later in life that you didn't have earlier in life. Mm -hmm. So make your time count and start counting your time. Have you even conceptualized, folks, that time is running out? Because every day you delay means it's getting a little bit harder and a little bit harder. You've got to make use of your time while you've got it, which brings us to the next point, which is what's your urgency to act? Where's the fire? What's the priority? What's the energy? What is making you turn something that's a maybe into a must? Or are you just putzing around life like there is no urgency and no priority?
1: And yet you're a long time dead, so don't waste time.
0: These minutes, these hours, make them count. And then bring your situation of how much money you've got in terms of cash and cash flow back to a concept of time. How much have you saved up? And your recurrent time, how much have you got each month that you don't have to work?
1: Well, Steve, buddy, we are out of time, speaking of time, so let's call that a wrap. See you next time. Bye, Ro. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au.